Hello and welcome to a sporting discussion, your podcast that discusses sports of all sorts. I'm Andrew Donison and I'm joined by the biggest thing to happen to baseball in Victoria since Dave Nielsen, AJ Mithen. Jeez, uh, something tells me that's the first and last time I'll be described as that. <laughs> Come on, mate. This week we will talk about good news in the WNBL with the head of the WNBL, Sally Phillips, potential bad news in Australian cricket with cricket writer and broadcaster Adam Collins, brain explosions in the wake of the West Indies losing a test series to Pakistan in an extremely amusing manner, and much more. Don't forget this show relies on your input and we thank everyone who has got in contact with us this week. You can get us on Twitter at ASD underscore podcast or go to facebook.com slash a sporting discussion to make sure you have your say on the big sporting issues of the week. AJ? Yes. Confirmations and corrections. All clear again. Proudly brought to you by Ultimate AFL Trivia. (laughs) Search for them on Facebook where you can get in contact with them if you'd like to run an AFL themed trivia night at your club or event. Anywhere in Australia, and the season is well and truly up and going, so if you want to book something, you better get in quick. Search them on Facebook, Ultimate AFL Trivia. I was also all clear, but I have lost my iPad, so I don't have the banger to play. Probably just as well. Yes. Shall we get into the show? We should. Andrew, a few weeks ago, we were joined by the wonderful Sally Phillips, head of the WNBL here in Australia. Indeed we were. Uh, And we spoke to Sally about what it's like running the longest running professional women's sporting league in Australia. And she was uh, kind of lamenting the fact that they didn't have a TV deal going because it's a quality league that needs more exposure. Well... Would you believe it? Would you believe it? Uh, in the week, in probably, I don't know, 10 days ago, yep. uh, the WNBL have secured a broadcast deal with Fox Sports. Woo! Uh, there's some big signings. Liz Campage is coming back. Huge. Uh, and some others as well. Um, so we thought we'd uh, have a chat to Sally to bring us up to date on what's happening with all the good news. Sally Phillips, welcome back to a sporting discussion. Thank you. Great to be chatting again. Little, uh, the circumstances are a bit different though, aren't they, from last time? So it's very exciting. Absolutely it is. You've absolutely killed it since you were on last. You've got a TV deal going with uh, Fox Sports. Uh, there's all sorts of player signings going on, but let's, let's start off with the TV deal. Talk us through uh, what, what you've managed to uh, get nailed down here. Yeah, so it's um it's very exciting and hey, look, I need to. That's why I wanted to talk to you again because good things happen after I chat with you guys. So let's make <laughs> sure we keep talking. No, so we're um we're clearly just absolutely thrilled after sort of you know being out of the the league, being out of the picture for a couple of years after um losing the ABC broadcast deal. It's um it's amazing to now be a part of the Fox Sports family. So yeah, we weren't. Absolutely wrapped a couple of weeks ago to share the news that um, Fox Sport will be the home of the WNBL for the next three years, and and you know it's the great thing about it is it's it's more than just a deal; it's a partnership, and we just couldn't be more excited. It's amazing stuff. So it's 
one game a week plus finals in like will be broadcast on on like live on Fox. How did how did that come about? We know we talked last time. We talked about the amount of money that would be required to to get that up and running. But there's also you need the will from the other side. So I imagine there was a, a very uh, in depth uh, negotiation process to get it up to where it is now. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like when I first, so when I first started in my role, so I think about eight months, I think I'm about eight months in now and, you know, I had meetings with my most of the broadcast part, Australian, you know, broadcasters within the first probably two to three weeks of beginning. And, and you know, we have, we, I told you guys last time, we had the the same discussion, you know, it was like deja vu, you know, let's walk into the next meeting and it was, hey, we love the WNBL, we recognise, you know, that it's a globally elite league that should be on TV. So if you guys just go and get some sponsorship, you know, raise the revenue to pay for broadcast, we'd love to put you on. And and we had the same meeting over and over again and, you know, we caught up with, so um, Rebecca McCoy and Adam Howarth, have they been the real drivers at, at Fox Sport and we caught up with them again, you know, sort of within another few weeks of, and our story really resonated with them. I think they sort of walked away and went, boy, you know, what if someone doesn't put their hand up and take a leap of faith to help this league that's as awesome as it is, they're just going to be stuck in this situation of no broadcast because it's, it's too difficult to go and raise the amount of revenue needed. So, they went off and and had a obviously did a massive you know within sort of with a, over a four or five month period did a massive amount of work internally and uh, sold our amazing story into the powers of that be at Fox and you know there's a whole lot of whole lot of backstory that um, I might save for another day but just the fact that yeah they've taken a leap of faith and said hey we want to support you guys and. We need to put you on TV to help you get the sponsors, and there we go. Well, I was going to say, this is going to have massive flow-on effects for the game, for the women's basketball, isn't it? Especially through sponsorships and people clamouring to get a piece while they're going to be on uh, on a televised broadcast. Yeah, you know, that that's exactly what we're hoping is going to happen. So, we, um, yeah, we're, we're knocking on a lot of doors now on... Um, for commercial partners, sorry, I've got a dog barking in the background. <laughs> so, well, everyone's happy, man, woman, and, and animal. <laughs> Don't work with animals or children. So, uh, kids are off watching MasterChef; they're happy, but my dog's not so much. Yeah, so we um. I've even lost my train of thought. Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. I, I was going to say, the, the, the article that I was reading was a little bit ambiguous and possibly deliberately so and maybe opened up for a little bit more broadcasting. It said, under the agreement, Fox Sports will broadcast at least one game live each week. Now... Is that something that you'll be really pushing, say, you know, or, or is that, you know, the, the Herald Sun article that I that I read not necessarily knowing exactly what the deal is? Or is it, you know, they'll have a look at the first couple of weeks and see what the numbers are like and maybe then push to two games a week? Yeah, look, you know, in an ideal world, Fox would love to be bringing every game every week to the fans because it's, it's just so darn good. So... I think what the the challenge for us now is it's not it's not a case of whether they think it's good enough or how it's going to rate. That's actually not really part of their project. They've not gone in there. You know, we've all got to be realistic. You know, on 
all those, you know, unless you're the, the AFL, you know, what, what are your ratings going to be like? So there aren't any sort of parameters around expectations on ratings or anything like that. The job for us now is just to go and generate enough corporate revenue so that we can uh, inject more money into the production side of things. So mm. so the amount of games that we bring to fans will be dependent on the work that we can do uh, off the court in bringing in, um, bringing in some commercial dollars. So, you know, if we can continue, if we can start to sign some really big sponsors for the league, then hopefully we'll be able to bring more fans to um, more games to the fans each week. Um, are the teams that aren't going to be broadcast in the Foxtel game still going to be running their uh, online coverage? Look, we, we, we're going to definitely be having those discussions. It's it's on the agenda that we, yeah, we need to discuss, yeah, what we're going to do in that space. You know, do we, it, while we don't have every game on, do teams that were live streaming, we let them continue to, to do that. So, um, you know, as long as, I think, you know, as long as there's some standards met um, along the way, we want to make sure the product that we're bringing to everyone's a, of a high quality. So, yeah, those things we still need to tick off, but I would, you know, I would envisage for for, for them the beginning if it's starting at that game a week that, um, yeah, for those teams that are not the TV game of the week, they may still decide to stream. But uh, yeah, we'll uh, definitely on the list of things we need to talk about. You mentioned the, the the standards that need to be met. There's probably another side to those standards, and that's the the facilities and the stadiums that the teams use. Are all of them set up to, I guess, be able to be broadcast from in the way that Fox wants to do it? Yeah, so that's, uh, that's probably one of the big ticket items that we're working on right now. So Fox are going to be heading out to, to all the stadiums and, and, you know, doing their lux checks on lighting and, and that sort of thing to, to see what all the standards like. We, um, we're we hoping that because of the ABC situation that was on TV, you know, I don't think we've had too many stadium changes. So I'd like to think that everyone will be pretty close, you know, be up to standard or, or very, very close. So, yeah, that's all the work that, you know, goes on behind the scenes now, um, organising for what, you know, that, that second weekend of October will be here before we know it. So, yeah, ticking off all those all those items now. Well, let's move from the screen onto the court. You like that segue? Um, and it's been an absolute maelstrom of signings going on over the last couple of weeks. Number one, obviously, Liz Cambridge coming back to Australia to play with the Boomers. Uh, that must just be a huge, huge push for the league. Oh, it's it's incredible, really. You know, to yet, yeah, and it was you know the day after our Fox Sport announcement. So, you know, within within two days, the the whole um, the whole vibe around the league had completely changed. We'd gone from you know being spoken about maybe in a bit of a negative light in the media, unfortunately, to all of a sudden it was just the game just changed within, you know, 24 hours to to announce that broadcast deal and then for the, yeah, for the Deakin Melbourne Boomers to come out and announce Liz and that was on the back of, you know, earlier announcing Jenna O'Hay coming back and, you know, Luella Tomlinson's and that's just the Boomers. So it's it's been hard to keep up with, with the, you know, massive amount of activity going on, you know, the Adelaide Lightning bringing Abby Bishop back, uh, you know, the Fire bringing Kayla George back. It uh, feels like every day there's just another great announcement for the league. And 
I think that you know because we're shortening the season a little bit now, so we'll be going from October through. We'll be done by the end of January. It makes the league a really attractive prospect for those players that have you know been trying to juggle Europe and making a call. They can they can come and play in the WNBL now and then still you know pick up majority of the Euro season and and grab themselves a contract there. So. The um, the earning potential for our athletes now is just ticking all the boxes for them for sure. Yeah, there's some fairly well, iconic's a strong word, but massive massive names in the women's basketball in Australia coming back. That's a that's a yeah. great great get across the league. Yeah, it is. It's just it's such an exciting time. Like it's um yeah, you sort of got to pinch I've pinched myself a little bit that we've you know <laughs> just got this wave of positive positivity around the league and people wanting to come back and play and it's um and you know the next four years are so exciting we've got commonwealth games in on the gold coast in next year and you know there'll be a world cup uh world championships for the opals next year and before you know 2020 tokyo will be here so the next four years for basketball in this country is just so exciting and yeah to have all those great players coming back and it's um, going to be fantastic. And, you know, I think I spoke to you guys about this last time as well. It's I'm just so thrilled for our athletes, you know, for them to have been left out of the conversation for the last couple of years was a bit of a kick in the guts, really. You know, I felt felt their pain that they were seeing some other female sports, you know, really leapfrog us. And we've been, you know, we've been amazing for the past 20 years, basketball in this country, and for other sports to just come in and really quickly take over, it was you knew that the players felt a little bit disappointed. So the fact that they're all, you know, from everyone that I've spoken to, they're so excited that they're going to be back on TV and, uh, you know, to have players in at Fox Sports Studios and being interviewed, it's just, it's going to be awesome. So we're we're definitely feeling like a big part of the Fox family already. And it's, yeah, it's just really exciting for the league. Well, you, you mentioned... Kayla George, her and Leilani Mitchell uh, are playing over in the WNBA at the moment. Two players that didn't get retained over in the the WNBA, Rachel Jarry and Erin Phillips. Now, I think I was reading that Rachel Jarry will be playing for the Canberra Capitals. Is there a thought that one of the teams could could lure Erin Phillips and and see her as a bit of a, a marketing. You know, we you, you just talked and we did last time about the the other sports being able to, you know, sort of grab players and grab the limelight, grab the, the news headlines. So surely clubs would be looking at Erin Phillips as a bit of a, a marketing ploy as well as a playing on the playing side. Oh no no doubt. And you know, I have, I've, you know, can say hand on heart, I have not heard anything or I, I have no idea what, you know, what the plans for Erin Phillips are in the future. She's, um, but there's no doubt that, yeah, while she, you know, hasn't been retained by Dallas, that she can still seriously play. And, um, you know, I don't know whether she's got Commonwealth Games on the radar. So you'd, you'd think that if she did want to come home and, and represent Australia maybe for that, you know, one last time at Com Games next year that a, a little WNBL season under her belt would be pretty handy leading into that. So, I mean, it, it would be – I think it would be absolutely fantastic to uh, to have her home and run around in the league again, 
maybe for that, you know, last time before before heading off into retirement. But, you know, I don't want to speak speak for Erin. I've not spoken to her or have heard what, you know, what's on the horizon for her. But, yeah, it'd be pretty – and, you know, we finished before the AFLW starts now, so who knows? She might be able to um, – might be able to the first be the first athlete to combine a, a WNBL and AFL season. Who knows? <laughs> that sounds brilliant. Well, Sally, thanks again for coming on and talking to us on a sporting discussion. We love having you on. You're very uh, upfront and honest with us, and uh, we're thrilled that the WNBL has been able to bag uh, this deal with Foxtel and all the new signings that are coming. Um, everyone's so excited. Even your dog's excited in the background there. <laughs> he was. <laughs> um, congratulations. Thanks again for coming on, and we'll speak to you closer to the season yeah sounds great thanks for um thanks for having a chat again guys AJ, there is a big disagreement between Cricket Australia and the Australian Cricketers Association over the next pay deal, which needs to be sorted out before the current contracts end on June 30. James Sutherland, the CEO of Cricket Australia, has sent an email to the ACA boss, Alistair Nicholson, basically saying, to be very clear, in the absence of a new MOU, Cricket Australia is not contemplating alternative contracting arrangements to pay players beyond 30 June if their contracts have expired. Ooh, business, and then, business governance crisis. Exactly. Like. Mitch Stark then hinted via Twitter that a player strike wouldn't be out of the question. And then David Warner went one step further telling our next guest, Adam Collins, that if it gets to the extreme, they might not have a team for the Ashes. Adam Collins, welcome to a sporting discussion. Uh, Great to join you. As I said to you before, I'm quite literally a long-time listener, first-time caller. I think this is a great podcast, and I'm very pleased to be joining you both. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Now, what's the deal? What's happening here? Yeah, well, the way that uh, Andrew described it before is is true to the extent to which they may not play um, Ashes cricket if this dispute continues. But it wouldn't be a strike necessarily because, as you also pointed out, they're not looking at alternative contracting arrangements according to the letter James Sutherland sent. So in other words, if June 30 comes and goes, they won't be given a separate contract to tour India for the one-day uh, series, which is scheduled for October. Um, they won't be able to um, travel to Bangladesh for the test series, which is currently slated there, things like that. So um, that, but that, what that did, though, that, that infuriated the Cricketers Association um, and rather than heavying them. I think the plan was for that to be a device to put a bit of pressure back onto the players if they thought they would be receiving money after June 30. If anything, it seems to have had the opposite effect and galvanised them further. And speaking to David Warner a couple of days ago, just reinforced that. And he was very clear there'll be no buckling, um, there'll be no, uh, there'll be no uh, back down by the players. And the interesting thing out of all of this is David Warner doesn't actually stand to um, lose any money out of the New Deal. Indeed, David Warner will make a lot of money out of the New Deal. Um, this is relatively altruistic from the uh, from the big-time international players like David Warner, Stephen Smith, Mitchell Stark, Pat Cummins and and, uh, and Josh Hazelwood. They're the big five, if you like, in terms of the contracting um, perspective because they've 
um, basically going to get more out of the deal that Cricket Australia are putting to them, but they're, they're rejecting it on the basis that the same arrangements that existed for state players for the last 20 years aren't retained in the new memorandum of understanding. So it's very complicated. Um, Cricket Australia have built a fairly understandable case around wanting to expand the MOU, um, not only to women, but to grassroots cricket and a range of other things they want to spend their revenue on. Uh, but what it does mean in the short term, in the next five years, is that Shield players will be paid an increased wage, but won't be able to access uh, an increased, well, a percentage of the increase in revenue, which they have for the last 20 years. And that is um, the primary sticking point between the two parties as we go into um, the last six weeks of this dispute. And yeah, it was 1997 when this revenue sharing arrangement was put in place where all the cricketers in Australia, they share 20% uh, of the, the revenue. Now, Cricket Australia want to retain the shared revenue model for international players but establish a capped payment for domestic cricketers. And that's, as you say, where the difference between the international and the domestic players won't necessarily be felt in those first years because the capped Mm. payments for domestic cricketers will represent an increase. However, we've seen with the Big Bash, there's a lot more money coming into Cricket Australia. And I imagine it's the players basically saying we are the reason why uh, why this money is coming in and we need to be compensated for it. Yeah, it, it's it's there's more uh, there's more incoming, so there's more revenue, but there's also more outgoing. And Cricket Australia is keen to point this out as well that um, when you're running a tournament or a competition like the Big Bash, should also um, it isn't it's just simply as straightforward as having more cash. You've got to pay for more things. But um, their argument is they they include women and and which haven't been included before, which also is a, a big blow to the bo- bottom line, if you like. But noting, of course, that um, women are going to be paid extremely well here. So Cricket Australia point towards the fact that. Um, the, the top flight women players will be earning up to $200,000 or a fraction more than that by the end of this five-year deal. They get a 125% increase in their pay overnight as of July 1. Um, and even domestic women players go from earning roughly $25,000 a year to roughly $50,000 a year. So there are a lot of positives about this arrangement for a lot of uh, members of the cricketing community. It's just simply that um, the revenue share that may be realised in the next five years, no guarantee of this, of course, but may be realised by Big Bash and uh, presumably the cricket.com.au media arm and, and things like that, that won't necessarily flow to state players the way it has historically. So you see a lot of um, commentary about David Warner having made these comments, which was so prominent a couple of days ago. Um, there was a you know hysterical reaction piece in The Australian by their sports editor, who clearly doesn't understand the issue. He was talking about David Warner's Lamborghini and, and, and other that. things like this. And it has nothing to do with David Warner's pay packet. It has nothing to do with Steve Smith's pay packet. These guys stand to increase their wages significantly. It isn't about their industrial action for themselves and their own selfishness. That's that's a complete misunderstanding uh, and presumably that's just an ideological position taken by the Australian newspaper um, due to their antipathy towards collective organisations generally like that, like trade unions and the ACA for the purpose of this exercise are, are performing a role like that. They're a third party negotiating on behalf of the players. So there's a lot of misinformation out there. There's a lot of back and forth. But what you have ultimately is two groups in Cricket Australia and the, and the players who both um, see a path forward that they declare to be in the best interest of Australian cricket. It's just they're coming at it from a radically different starting point. Um, Adam, I'm glad you said misinformation there because in situations like this, everyone has a say and everyone puts out all sorts of interesting things. But I was wondering if you could clear up something for me. I've heard it reported that the Cricket Australia's offer would stop Australian players playing IPL. Is that true or is that false? 
Yeah, I think this is part of the um, protracted negotiations at the top five Australian cricketers, it's been reported, uh, and David Warner confirmed this to me, have been offered three-year deals uh, which include within it uh, payments, additional payments in lieu of playing IPL. So, in other words, if they've ever had three-year deals before, it's usually been a year-to-year contracting arrangement, but the top Australian players are being offered three-year contracts on the basis that um, they forego being IPL players, and David Warner described that as laughable. So, um, that's a complicated, uh, a complicated area as well because you can appreciate where CA are coming from in terms of wanting their best players not subjecting themselves to risk. There's a, a very um, packed international calendar. They want to provide them as much rest as possible and they see this as a way, kind of a clever way of getting around that, taking it out of two months of cricket in India during that exclusivity window that exists at this time of year. But Warner's response to that was that um, they don't get to play an awful lot of, of, of T20 cricket as a rule. They don't play in the big bash league because it typically clashes with their international commitments in the Test match summer and also the, the one-day international summer. So they don't play a lot of big bash. They don't play a lot of T20 international cricket outside of the tournaments, maybe a, a fixture here or there. So his argument is the IPL is the only really real protracted opportunity they have to hone their T20 skills. So he thinks that by precluding them from doing that, um, it, it's against their interest as well, not to mention the fact that it's been reported that Warner could earn up to $10 million over the next three years playing IPL. Whether that's accurate or not, um, there's no real way of knowing that. But players who do captain their sides, like Steve Smith and, and David Warner for um, Pune and Hyderabad, respectively, they do earn a lot of money over there. So I can understand why they want to remain uh, IPL players going forward or at least having that option to do so. Well, there'd have to be all sorts of sponsorship opportunities as well and things like that that they're foregoing if they're not going to play. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that's right. I think that, that, that's basically it, isn't it? When you go to the IPL, it isn't just what you bought, bought for at auction. It's also the commercial opportunities over there. So, um, again, I, I can see, like with a lot of this, I, I have to say, like, um, I can almost ex- universally see where CA are coming from with each of their points. It's just that the players and the players association seem to be um, coming had it completely different at every turn. There, there seems to be very little common ground, even though the offer being put by CA, when you explain that it's being used to better fund women's cricket, better fund local cricket, and still increase Sheffield Shield player salaries from 199000 on average at the moment to 235000 by the end of the cycle. And um, that's still a pretty hefty pay increase over five years. So you can understand um, where CA are starting from, but you also can understand the players' perspective that they put on the show it's a product at the BBL level, especially, which is almost exclusively driven by state players, not international talent. That's a product which is getting bigger and bigger. And why should they have to forego uh, that potential increase in revenue and, and the flow and effect to their salary when uh, other players have been receiving something like that for the last 20 years? Just on that, is it a little bit uh, foolish for cricketers to, to look at the people who are running Cricket Australia and just go, no, no, you don't know what you're talking about. We know what's best. When they are very, very smart business people who would have done a whole lot of modelling to figure out what the, the best thing is for, for both Cricket Australia and the players going forward. So is it a little mm. bit foolish that, because I think I've read that the, the players actually haven't engaged with Cricket Australia on this and they've just immediately sought to go to negotiation uh, to mediation, sorry, without really understanding what Cricket Australia is is offering and why they're offering it? 
Yeah, it's an interesting point you raise. The governance arrangements at Cricket Australia have changed significantly since 2011. There's now independent board members who've been appointed uh, principally to have, and using Cricket Australia's language, captains of industry. So um, uh, David Peaver is now the chairman of Cricket Australia, um, whereas before it was Wally Edwards who was involved in business but a former Australian Test cricketer. Historically, the Australian Cricket Board and now Cricket Australia has been um, has been a federated body of two delegates from each state or roughly delegates from each state, not two from every state, but the biggest state's got two, the smaller state's got one. Um, but that's now changed to have independent directors, a massive corporate corporate governance reform, which on the most part has been heralded as a, as a success in getting away from a fairly antiquated model. But what it means um, when you're talking about negotiating payments is that you're right, they're coming from a different world. They're coming from a business world. Take David Peaver. David Peaver um, is, has a long history with Rio Tinto of not being, um, shall we say, the most friendly towards organised labour um, and effectively, like I mentioned before, the ACA are organised labour. So you can understand why someone, if he's standing in the business community, isn't that, isn't that fond of unions to begin with, isn't that fond of collective bargaining to begin with, um, coming to this from a slightly different perspective of maybe five years ago when there were cricketers who were principally making up the, the board or people very close to cricket um, over many years uh, involved in administration at state level and even club level. And you can get why there's a bit of a different dialogue going on now to what was going on then. All right, Adam. So we've got our traditional, it's the man versus the workers, so to speak. Who wins? What's going to happen, do you think? Yeah, look, I, I, I sort of just want to get in on the, the, the press of that question. I don't think it is the man versus the workers. I mean, the usual industrial dispute is one where you're negotiating over um, conditions and pay, usually pay, you're talking about a percentage. It's an increase between, you know, 3 or 4% or whatever it is, and a union's uh, negotiating with a boss who's trying to keep the pay increases as, as minimal as possible. That actually isn't what's going on here, that the increase in payer, play, payer, player payments over the next five years is significant. It goes from somewhere in the order of, off the top of my head, $311 million through to $460-odd million. So payment is going up. So it isn't about... Um, the pie increasing, it's about where the pie is is, uh, is carved up. So um, it's a bit more complex and nuanced than the new normal union slash uh, employer dispute. But having said all of that, um, your broader point about who's going to fold first is, is very interesting. Indeed, it's fascinating. Um, I think the first step is uh, them having a, a more constructive dialogue, like you pointed out before, Andrew. Um, they have asked for third-party mediation and, and David Peaver, the chairman of Cricket Australia, has read a letter today um, rejecting that. So... I'm not sure whether that's a, a particularly wise ploy because I think we found out last week when, when James Sutherland tried to play hardball about contracts and didn't exactly have the response they hoped from the Players Association. So whether that gets the ACA to the table more readily, we will see, but I'm not sure it will. Um, and, and I think that's the first step. In order to have any agreement here, there's going to, be ha- there's going to have to be ground given from both sides. That's the natural um, flow of these things. And uh, at this stage, the, the, the players and the Players Association have been very clear that any potential deal won't include uh, walking back their, their demand for the revenue sharing model to be retained in Cricket Australia by the same token. It's been pretty clear that um, they will only negotiate around the deal that they've already put to the players back in March, which excludes um, revenue sharing. So I'm not sure who will blink first, um, but, uh, but, I, but I think it's going to be very complicated. And I think the idea that they'll get this resolved by June 30 is almost fanciful given how much ground needs to be made up. So what James Sutherland said last week, about there being no alternative contracting arrangements made. In other words, not giving them two to two contracts. That might be one thing they have to reconsider. Otherwise, as David Warner said, you might see a situation where um, Australia's um, senior players are heading off trying to make a living elsewhere at the back half of this year, be it through 
the Caribbean Premier League or the T20 Blast or, or other T20 competitions, which bob up on, on a fairly regular basis around the world. Adam Collins, it is going to be a fascinating next 44 days and, as you said, probably just a little bit more. Thank you very much for joining us on a sporting discussion. People can get you on Twitter, at Collins Adam, where you will tweet out all of your varying media uh, platforms that, <laughs> that, you, that you work for. I won't go through all of them here, but at Collins Adam is the best place to get you. Is that right? Yes, it is. That's, uh, that, as you say, multiple platforms, multiple organisations, but it all kind of finds its way back to Twitter. Excellent. Well, Adam, thank you very much. And, yeah, we hopefully will uh, have a chat to you before the Ashes when a real Australian cricket team will be playing rather than a Rebel team. Almost certainly that will be the case. Good luck, fellas. AJ, recently over in Windsor Park in Dominica, Pakistan defeated the West Indies in a test match. But that is not what we're here to talk about. I was about to say, that's a fair stretch for what we talk about on a sporting discussion. We are talking about brain explosions. Hey. Because in said test match, the West Indies were nine wickets down, 101 runs behind, so not going to win because there was only seven balls left in the, in the match. Yes. Yassir Shah bowling to the number 11, Shannon Gabriel. Yes. One ball left in the penultimate over. Yes. Roston Chase on 101 <laughs> not out at the non-striker's end. Roston Chase is 101. Okay. Yep. So he, he would have been facing the last over if... So you'd back him to see out those six balls and get a draw. What was the scenario in the test series? Pakistan needed to win the test to win the series. It was okay. one all. Pakistan had never won a test series in the West Indies. Oh, okay. Earlier in the over, Shannon Gabriel was given out and it was overturned on a review. <laughs> the last ball of the second last over, the leg spinner tossed the ball up. Shannon Gabriel tried to heave him into the stand, oh. missed the ball, got bowled, test match over. Oh, no. <laughs> the did he miss the ball or did he play it on? Uh, well, I've, I've only said it on my little screen. there's two noises. Okay, well, he may have played on, but he got bowled. Either way, he was swinging Swinging wildly. lustily <laughs> when all he needed to do was block lustily. one delivery. Lust I do many things lustily. <laughs> So that got us thinking about massive, massive brain explosions that ideally cost a, an individual or a team a, a sporting event. Yes. Because, look, it was tragic for, Ross, for, for Shannon Gabriel. It was tragic for Roston Chase. It was hilarious. Probably more viewers. tragic for Roston Chase because I don't think Shannon Gabriel would have been all that bothered by it. No, no, no <laughs> that's true. Have you got one? What's what's a let, give us an example because we got we we got massive massive feedback from the listeners on this one. We did. I've I've got one which were, happened recently in the Giro d'Italia. Cyclist Luca Pibernick. He burst out of the pack, raced away, crossed the finish line in stage five of the race, raised his arms in celebration, <laughs> slowed down, turned around and saw all the cyclists still racing. <laughs> and they <laughs> caught him and went past him. There was one lap to go. Oh, they were ringing the bell no. for the final lap and he didn't hear that. He finished, ended up finishing the stage 148th, 20 seconds behind. <laughs> Apparently, he... <laughs> 
So his team said the battery on his radio earpiece oh. ran out. Wow. So we tried calling him back to tell him, but he couldn't hear us. And so the he, batteries in his eyes went off because the bell was ringing to say one lap left. Exactly. He was raising <laughs> his arms and he was, he was like, woo. Good on him. Yeah. What, what about you, well, always, Have you got a brain explosion? He's always going to have that moment, isn't he? <laughs> That's, yes. Um, mine, I've spoken about this one a few times because I'm still bitter about it. It's Elliot Whitehead from the Canberra Raiders oh, no. uh, in the semi, in the first uh, qualifying final last year against Cronulla. Okay. Uh, when he put a swinging late arm onto Ben Barber as he lay on the ground 20 metres out, dead in front of the Cronulla goal. That's right. Uh, yes, and uh, gave away the penalty. Cronulla scored two points. Uh, that was the winning margin and it just didn't need to be done. That and also Geelong's positioning on the Nick Davis uh, goal in, when's that, 2005, I believe. Uh, Okay, which leads us nicely into the first listener feedback that we got from Rudy Edzal was just a a simple one sentence, Richmond's centre square set up after Brandon Ellis's goal on the weekend. (laughs) Well, that's right, what they had. The funniest part was whoever kicked the goal to put Richmond ahead head started screaming, let's all get back. That, that was Brandon Ellis. Brandon Ellis and ran back and no one went with him. No, there, <laughs> look, there are a number of people who have... Classic Richmond. Yeah, who, who have analysed that last 21 seconds to death. I, I recommend that you go and, and read all of that analysis because it's hilarious. <laughs> um we got, uh, we got one from Chris Goody. This was a grand final under-18s uh, up on the Gold Coast. Surfers Paradise had gone through the season undefeated and they had annihilated Chris's team in the semifinals by about 90 points. Mm. So they got to grand final day and as often happens, it was, you know, it was a close game. Five minutes to go. Surfers were up by three points. So ball goes over the boundary line, out on the full. Rolls towards the fence and one of the senior players, which is this is the under-18 grand final, one of the senior players for Surface Paradise leaned over, picked the ball up and held it against the fence. Someone tried to go and get the ball and the senior guy didn't let it go. So the umpire went, stop being an idiot, that's 50 metres against your team. <laughs> and so that, that put the, the bloke about 90 metres from goal. All of the supporters were cracking the, the sads. And so yeah, saying interference from the crowd shouldn't count. Uh, and then they, because they were remonstrating, the, sorry, the senior player he jumped over the fence and started remonstrating with the umpire. Oh god! Whistle blows another fifty meters. He's forty meters out. He's one hundred and sixty-five centimeter tall, kicking into the wind. Can't make the distance, but he <laughs> spots up a teammate. <laughs> 15 metres out, who kicks the ball through the goals. <laughs> Three to four minutes later, the siren sounds. They win the grand final oh, against the best team all year because one of their senior players jumped over the fence and chased the umpire. And tried to be a smartass <laughs> in the first place. Yep. Oh, what a moron from a guy who wasn't even playing. I know. I love that. That's, That's a brain explosion. Thank you, Chris. Uh, we've got another one from Ben Katowskis. He says, my friend played in a rugby union grand final was a grinding game in atrocious conditions and first and probably last chance of glory for a team that had done it tough over the years. They were ahead by a few points trying to keep possession and hold out for a few phases until the final siren. The siren went. The halfback went to pump the footy over the sideline. The team started celebrating the win. Meanwhile, a strong gust of wind blew the ball back into the field of play. Uh, Ben says the kick might have been emphatic in how high it went. 
Their high fives turn to horror as the opposition run down the ball and score a try. Oh, <laughs> and he's no. Pretty sure his mate cried. Oh, that's horrible. Because you know how that works at the end of a union game. The halfback just grabs the ball and boots it straight out of bounds, kills the clock, it's, everything's done and dusted. Yeah. He put it too high. And, oh. and the wind has, has brought it back in. That's, oh. yeah, that's not even a good bad luck story for that guy. No. <laughs> that's, so, yeah, kicking it up, brain explosion. Oh. Celebrating too early, brain explosion. <laughs> uh, Don Malisi, Alan Donald dropping his bat. Oh, that's, so that's a in the. Oh, 99. 99 Cricket World Cup semi-final. The draw, the tie. The tie where he got run out. And, oh, yeah, oh, poor Alan fantastic. Donald. <laughs> fantastic. But that's also the complete opposite of a brain explosion, Damien Fleming and Mark War. Oh, yeah, Damien Fleming just rolling the ball down the pitch. Yeah, Mark Fleming backhand. Uh, Mark Fleming. Mark War backhanded the ball back and Fleming sized it up and his brain... Stayed in one piece. Uh, we got one from a very good friend of the show, our netball expert, Aaron Delahunty, Andrew, who talks to us about Gretel Tippett's two hands in the back shove on Joe Weston in the second quarter of last round's Vixens versus Firebirds game. Uh, Aaron says that's unprecedented in netball. You don't usually hear a bit about... You hear about the physical side of the game, but you don't hear about the aggro side of the game, do you? No, and, and Gretel was very aggro. A goal had just been scored by the Firebirds and Joe Weston was just in front of Tippett and obviously they've been having a bit of uh, you know push and shove within the rules of the game and then she just yeah both hands in the small of Joe Weston's back and just pushed her and propelled her <laughs> about five metres forward. Well Aaron says she got a warning because it happened outside game time because like you said the goal was scored that's, yep. that's what she should have been benched but most people believe which is bench. She should have been bench, which is in the remit of the new discipline rules. Yeah, so that game was a bit tricky because apparently there were lots of warnings and cautions being given out in the early part. So I think the the refs might have missed a trick. Now, there. Aaron, Aaron says it didn't cost her side the match because they were already being thoroughly beaten, but still a brain explosion. But it may cost Tippett her chance of pulling on the GA bib. At the Commonwealth Games, oh. because there's a very crowded goal attack market going for that, and and it might not be necessarily appreciated by the powers that be having someone who snaps like that. Exactly. Okay, we had one from Brett Logan. This was 2003 New South Wales Waratahs against the Chiefs. Matt Dunning field goal. <laughs> Everyone in Australian sport knows what that is. Basically, the Waratahs needed to win the game by and get a bonus point, I think. So they basically, they needed to score a try and convert that try. Matt Dunning, who little, you know, stumpy player, not a, not a goal kicker. Stumpy? Stumpy, yep. not That's a, generous. <laughs> not, not a noted field goal kicker. The Waratahs got a penalty, and as happens in rugby union, you play on until the ref decides that advantage is over. Mm-hmm. Matt Dunning, smart, has just gone. Nah, we need to we need to reset here. So he's just gone. I'll I'll miss a field goal, and the ref will call it back. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> he kicked idiot. the best 
drop kick he's ever kicked in his life. It was pretty pure. Straight through the middle. From about like nearly 40 metres out or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, game and over. A, an actual halfback couldn't have tried to do that. No. And it ended up they needed a bonus point for the four tries to um, make the was. finals that year. Yes. Uh, and it was and the last game of the it season. It was the last game of the season. They ended up, they won 25 to 14, but they didn't <gasps> get the bonus point try. Because they only got three tries. Because they only got three tries. And uh, it's widely put down to Dunning's magnificent field goal. <laughs> as well it should be. <laughs> um, we got we got a, a, a couple of people who told us this next one. Friend of the show, Tim Gore, uh, and Adman on Twitter. Uh, talked about Frank Paul Newasala, another one from the Raiders having a brain explosion, mm-hmm. uh, versus the Gold Coast Titans, who the Raiders were leading pretty comfortably all day, but then they gave up a couple of tries. And on the kickoff back to the Titans, uh, Frank Paul Newasala shoulder charged Ryan James from the, t- the front row from the Titans off the ball in the back. He was penalised, mm. and Gold Coast went up the field and scored the match winning try. Oh, no. So the Raiders were actually ahead when he did it. <laughs> and there was only oh, there were maybe four, five minutes left. Yeah. And he pushed him. He, he runs down. He actually drills him in the back. At right. the time, I thought it was a dive. But no, he actually absolutely nailed him. Okay. Um, so. Just that was – that's brain explosion of its purest form. Yeah. Oh, it's just, just bloody silly. We've got another rugby league one, AJ, from Stu McLennan. Yes, friend of the show, Stu McLennan, uh, who reminds us all about Brett Hodgson's invisible man pass in the third origin of 2006. Now, I remember that. Do you remember that? I don't. That's why I'm leaving this on to you. Talk me through what the, the invisible was, man pass is. The series was one all. The mm-hmm. third game was at, uh, I believe it was called the Telstra Dome at the time, now Eddie Head Stadium, otherwise known as Docklands in Melbourne. Um, Brett Hodgson was tackled maybe five metres out from his own line. Yep. And he threw a pass to absolutely no one. And Darren Lockyer swooped through, picked up the ball, scored under the posts, and Queensland win the series. Who was Because that was right right near the end of the game. And there was just no one where he was trying to pass? He didn't catch a glimpse of someone? As as Stu mentioned, there was an invisible man there that, that he wanted to hit. It's a... I can remember that moment. It's very, very clear. It's just, <laughs> it, just amazing. Another very clear moment, Joel McGregor, Zinedine Zidane's headbutt in the 2006 World Cup final against Italy. That That's, is it. Oh, I, I, you can argue that that may not have cost his team the game because that, that match went to penalties. Yeah, but they lost. But he wasn't there. And, and he was the best player. <laughs> and been, the captain? Yeah, he'd been sent off. He'd already scored during the game. Yeah. With a lovely Panenka take the piss penalty <laughs> down the middle. Oh, yes. Um, and then he just, yeah. And then bam. Headbutted. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. boy. Good, some good stuff from the listeners this week, Andrew. I've, I've got one more, which is one of my favourites as well. Molly, Molly Huddle. Mm. Uh, she's a, a United States runner. She was running in the 10,000-metre final. And she was a couple of steps out from the line. She thought she had won. She threw her arms up in the air in celebration. She didn't count on a late lunge from her teammate Emily Infeld, (laughs) who edged in front by 0.9 of a second. Oh, God. Yeah. So Infeld said, I had no (laughs) idea... I had no idea I got it. I'm so thrilled. I saw Molly letting up. She didn't know how close I was. <laughs> I hate to beat her in those circumstances. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but said, I've got a picture of it on my wall. <laughs> it, it stinks because she's worked so hard. 
I've worked hard too, though. <laughs> 10K, after you, you do 10K and you do that. Yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah. That was fantastic. Just Thanks for your input, everybody. Don't forget, uh, you can get us on Twitter at ASD underscore podcast or facebook.com slash the sporting discussion. Uh, we'll put some questions out during the week. Uh, we want to get your examples, your stories, your experiences, all of it. AJ, we are going to finish off very shortly, but we're going to debut a segment that you have just thrown upon me. Yes, uh, exactly. It's called Questions Without Notice. Yep. And uh, Listeners, it's going it's it's to replace... This appeared, this appeared in the run sheet this morning. Without notice. Without notice. So I actually don't know what's going on, but... <laughs> it's to replace the fast few because the fast few is getting a bit stale. Okay. And you know that. You can admit to that. Come on. AJ thinks the fast few is getting a bit stale. <laughs> so questions... So it's going to be questions without notice. And okay. Do you want to start or do you want me to start? I'll start. I've okay. got. I've, I've, I think I've got two. Let me just say that the questions without notice. We we've got no idea what's coming. So, <laughs> yeah, keep the cursing to a minimum. All right. Should Maria Sharapova have been admitted uh, a wild card entry to the French Open in her return? For, she's coming back from her drug ban. Not now, but if the draw was done in a week, yes, because her ra- her ranking would be high enough. Oh no! So her ranking would be would possibly be then high enough to, for her to actually go into go the qualifying into the tournament. Yeah. So th- her ranking's not good enough to get into the fight, into the rant, into the um, the competition, yep. the the Grand Slam. Her her ranking's also not high enough to get into the qualifying tournament. So the only way is if they gave her a wild card. So should she have gotten a wild card entrance? Well, in that case, no, because she's a dirty, filthy drug cheat. Or she's done her time, but she's a dirty, filthy drug cheat. Okay. It's going to cost them a lot of money, though. So it's a courageous decision. It is. Yes. Andrew. Oh, dear. Yeah. How successful was the AFL in China? Oh. I'm going to say that it was a success, not as much as the AFL would have hoped for, because as much as they try to say, pass off reasons as why there was no one in the stadium, because they were all (laughs) apparently in the corporate yeah, entertainment right. boxes. It wasn't a good look. The Port Adelaide theme song got played at the start of the game instead of the Australian national anthem. <laughs> there was no... Gosh, he organised that. I know. Yeah. <laughs> there was no uh, Chinese television stations taking the, the game until the day before. So a lot of kinks to be ironed out. However, there is 1.3 billion people in China. There's... There are 24 or 34 million people in Shanghai. I think that for a first effort, it was it was pretty good. Um, and, yeah, I think that they'll keep doing it. And, well, the AFL have said they're basically going to give 500 grand or a mil to a team to do it. But I think it was a success and I think it will continue. Oh, now it's me. Yes. I get to that, ask you. That's how this works. International sporting teams... Should they only be allowed to consist of people born in that country? No. No? No, of course not. Because that's not? not that's not how the world is right now. Okay. Yeah. Something like um So Eddie Jones bringing three nearly, New nearly Zealanders. Half of, nearly oh, what's the bloody census figures? There's something like a third of the population of Australia is from migrant families. Or people who have come overseas and got citizenship. Yeah, and it's the same everywhere else. So, why would you just say you got to be born here to play in a team? 
Just asking. So there's a, there's a big furor about Eddie Jones in getting three New Zealanders to play for the English rugby team. Yeah, you know, that's the, England. They're always going to fuss about things like that. The Malawi swim team would be really good if the Campbell sisters had to uh, <laughs> compete for their country of well, birth. Um, it's pretty, rules like that are pretty strict in soccer, in FIFA, yep. the world game. Mm-hmm. But um, Qatar and some other nations have brought guys over from African nations that they've seen talent in and have played uh, underage uh, football for their national teams and brought them over and made them citizens and put them into their first into their mm. first teams. See, that's it. Yeah, make them citizens. Like, that's that's where I don't like. Well, make that. them citizens according to the laws of the land. Not yeah, like but a bring forward, them... Not like a forward Ahmed situation. <laughs> yeah, but bring it. Oh well, no, that that is a forward Ahmed. Bringing them over for the mere intent of having them play for your well, sporting to be team. Forward wasn't brought over, but well, anyway. yeah, no, true. <laughs> he was already here. All right, do you want to do right. one more? Or have you oh, had, yeah, yeah. had enough for this session? No, no, hit me. Oh, I had it and I've forgotten it. Oh, this is the best. Oh, man, what is it? Come on. Do you need some notice? Do you need some <laughs> notice for your question without notice, AJ? <laughs> no, I had my question in my head, but now it's gone. Uh, who's going to finish higher, Hawthorne or Sydney? Hawthorne. Why? That's, no, that, yeah, that's two questions. <laughs> Why? Because we're going to win. Why? Because we're going to win more games than them. Right, maybe you, maybe we need to give a bit more thought to the questions that we're going to ask. No, I was going to ask about Sharapova because it's not with because it's without notice. Oh, that was a collision. Right. Anyway, and that will do for episode fifty-seven <laughs> of a sporting discussion. What a schmozzle of a finish! Remember, if there's anything you want us to take us to task about, or if you want to get into it about anything discussed in this week's show, get in contact with us via Twitter at asd underscore podcast, or go to facebook.com/slash a sporting discussion. Tell your friends to subscribe to a sporting discussion on whatever podcast service they use. We're on all of them. If they can't find them. Let us know. Uh, we recommend you listen via wooshka.com, either on the app or on their desktop site. Make sure you leave us a review if you listen on iTunes because we do love reviews. Andrew, you've got another big weekend coming up here. No, th- this weekend is a week off for the VFL Women's. Oh, really? So, yeah, yeah. So, to, oh, so basically so that, the, no, so that the finals align with with other finals and blah, blah, blah. I'm not quite sure exactly what their mm. reason is, but there is a week off. But no, on the weekend, I did call the Geelong versus Seaford game down at Ocean Grove and the St Kilda Sharks against Melbourne Uni game. They were both really entertaining games of football. Sue Alberti was sitting just next to us at the St Kilda Melbourne Uni game and she enjoyed the commentary immensely, which was good. But hopefully I will be back on the air in two weeks. I'll also be on Triple R on Monday morning, 7.15. AJ, what are you working on? I'm still working on something very mysterious Mm. uh, and it's about 45% finished. Okay. Just to make it even more mysterious. Yeah, right. So you're almost at Bon Jovi levels. Almost. Almost. That'll do. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. 